going to go to 1 Peter, though. If you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So we are, we are in our series uh, we started called Strangers and Exiles. Strangers and Exiles. Um, living in a world that is not our home. And, and we've talked about how appropriate that is for this day and age. Appropriate that is for this season and for, uh, for those of us as Christians living in this country, but all around the world. As a reminder, this world is not our home. And, and what a great reminder that we should have that, that it's okay when we look around the world at the chaos in the world and at the, the choices of the world that we understand that we don't fit in. We don't, we don't fit in. And that's good. We, it's good we don't fit in. We are strangers and exiles. We have been called out by God to be a people for his own possession. So we've seen that as we started this, this series, that, that there is a people of God that have been called out, a people for his own possession, that he is rescuing from darkness and moving into light through faith in Jesus Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, we saw that as we started this series. And then last week, uh, Alistair preached on, on this reminder to rejoice that, that because we have this great, valuable treasure, this salvation from God through Jesus Christ, that we should be reminded to rejoice, that our hearts should be set there and our, and our hope should be set there and that our hope doesn't disappoint. And we'll see that theme continue through the book. And, and we are looking at the book of First Peter as, as a a, a roadmap or as a, um, a way to look and see how is it that I should live, a, a, guide, a guidebook of how I should live in a world that's not my home. So the first thing we saw was, hey, we're called out to be God's people, his people, not someone else's people, his people. And that makes us strangers and aliens to the world. Once we were foreigners of God's house, but now we're, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, and now we are strangers and aliens to the world. And, and, and how, how else do we live? Well, we should be rejoicing rejoicing in the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no other name. There's nowhere else we can go except for Jesus Christ. And today what we're going to look at is, is a settled hope, a settled hope. So we have this uh, reminder to rejoice, and then that brings us into this place of, of settled hope. And what does a settled hope look like? So that's, that's where we're going to head today. And, and, I, and I hope, I, I, I say settled hope because I see in so many lives, not only in our church but around the, around the world, of course, there is such, a, such an unsettledness to us at times, right? And I, it's even for me, I'm just unsettled at times, and I'm, there's turmoil in my heart, whether it's a waging, waging war against some sin or whether it's just a frustration with actions of other people or frustration with, with decisions of leaders, whatever it might be, there's unsettledness in my heart. And I really, really am encouraged by Scripture and encouraging you that we ought to be settled in our hope. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't grieve over things that grieve the heart of God, that we shouldn't take a stand or have a voice, but, but at the core of it all should be a settled hope, and we should be able to be settled in that hope. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into the text today. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be here today. We're grateful to, to lift you up in praise and honor and worship. God, to glorify you and exalt you, uh, because that is what you deserve. You are a holy God. And God, now as we come to your word, God, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, receptive to the Spirit as it convicts us of sin, as it drives us to a place of repentant, repentance and repentant faith. God, be receptive to the, the living and active Word of God, God, that we would be informed by, by it, and, and God, we would let it inform our lives, and it would become the, the worldview, the lenses by which we look at the world around us. So God, help us to see that today. Guide us through the text. God, it is our desire to be here God, to be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, not to hold on to anything that we think is important, but God, hold on to you, which is supremely important. 
and let you forever change and transform us into your people, a people called by you to be your own possession through faith in Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 13 through 21. Again, Alistair had just finished this uh, reminder to rejoice, uh, looking at 3 through 12, and, and just talking about how great the salvation was that we have, and that should prepare our minds and get into our minds and our thinking. So he picks it up in, here in verse 13, uh, as Peter writes. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the, ones who, as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Well, let's talk today about this this settled hope. What does a settled hope look like? Well, number one is this. A settled hope is sober-minded. A settled hope is sober-minded. Uh, this is very important uh, for us to understand as strangers and exiles. As we look at this passage, uh, look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Peter says this. He says, therefore, with your minds ready for action. So he's, a saying, he's saying, you and I are ready for action. Our minds are prepared. We are, we've had that reminder to rejoice. We know the salvation that we've been, been given by Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. And now with that in our minds and in our hearts and with a, with a reminder to rejoice and a, a readiness to rejoice, we are now ready for action. Our minds are ready for action. So what does he say about that? He says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's commands here, folks. There, this is what God is saying. This, the, the marching orders for a believer whose minds are ready for action, what are they? It is to be sober-minded and to set your hope completely on the grace of Jesus Christ. It's active, and we have to do it. And I don't know about you, I have to do it regularly. I have to regularly think through that and regularly put my hope where it should be and not somewhere else. It's interesting, this idea of being sober-minded, I've read this so many times in, in, my, uh, in Scripture, and I, I kind of uh, breeze right, right by it, like, oh, be sober-minded, uh, think rightly. I'll oh, think rightly, but let's just take it for what it says, sober. What is the opposite of sober? Drunk, intoxicated, inebriated, right? It, it's the, here's the difference. It, for us to be sober-minded, it is to see clearly through the lenses of a Christian or biblical worldview. That's to be sober-minded, to not be sober-minded is to have beer goggles on. That we walk around this world intoxicated by what the world has to offer. And we walk, walk around with our minds dull, desensitized to the sin in this world, not giving, giving any care about what, what we're doing or what other people are doing. And we're not ready for action. And there's no way we can put our hope in Christ. And there's no way that we will have a settledness in our heart or, or a, a hope in our heart that will settle us. 
because we are viewing the world and walking into the world drunk, not sober-minded. Our minds are not clear. It's so important for us to be sober-minded. Exhortation in, in Luke chapter 21 says, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. You get, you get this command, be on guard. Wait, stop, watch, see clearly. Look at the scripture. What does it say? Then analyze. Be on guard so your minds are not dulled from carousing and drunkenness and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. You ever experienced that? You didn't see something clearly. You, you went into it totally drunk and just, just intoxicated with the world, and it ended up being some kind of a trap. Hardship came, hurt came, worry came, anxiety came, depression came. Whatever it was, it crept in, and it, it ruined what was going on. And there was no settled hope in that. Jesus says, be on guard so that your minds are not dulled, dulled from that. First uh, Peter, later on in chapter 5, we'll see this in the coming weeks, but Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded and alert. You remember this verse? Be sober-minded and alert for your adversary, what? Is the devil. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Listen, I, I understand that being sober-minded, we have this tendency to say, uh, we see things clearly, and, and, and then when we see things clearly and we aren't reinforcing our hope and re having that reminder to re rejoice, we see things clearly and we get in despair because we look at the world and say, wow, this is crazy. And what, what do we usually do? When we get really in despair, there's two ways we can go. There's two roads to go. One is go back to that reminder to rejoice in the salvation we have through Jesus Christ and have a settled hope and say, I'm, I don't fit in. I'm a stranger and an exile. Or when we're in that place of, of, of despair and depression and anxiety and worry and we see this world and it's, it's just crazy, what do we do? We go and get intoxicated with it, and it doles our mind and doles our thinking, and it's, it's, like, it's like when people go to alcohol or drugs and when they abuse that for the same reason. They do it to dole their pain. No, no one wants to make a mess of their life. No one goes to, to alcohol or to drugs or, or to other vices to make a mess of their life. I shouldn't say no one. Probably someone does. But, but most of the time, no one does that. They, they think, I just need a little bit of dullness here. I need, I, need some, I need this pain to go away a little bit. I need to kind of, kind of wind down. That's the wrong place to go. That settles nothing. In fact, it creates more anxiety. It creates more dependence. It creates more despair. So we're to be alert and to be on guard because our adversary is setting traps and wanting us to walk right into them. I think about this being on guard and being alert and being sober-minded. Part of it is just situational awareness. Knowing that when I walk into town, when I go, when I go to town, when I do my things or when I'm in the world, I know just around me that things aren't going to be as they should be. And I know going into that, I don't want to participate. I want to watch and look through a biblical worldview, a lens of scripture, having my mind renewed, and, and then act or react or respond. Uh, situational awareness is so important. Uh, I, I spent a little bit of time in law enforcement and training, and, and, and there was, there's always that you're trained. Situational awareness. Watch what's going on. What's in their hands? What's on their waist? What are they doing? What's their tone? What's their, what's their body language look like, right? What, I even, like last night, there's times I come down at night and work on a sermon, right? I, when I walk down the sidewalk on the education wing, 
right? It's not just like I see the front door. I have to walk down a sidewalk and turn a corner into a, at night, dark breezeway. When I'm here on Sunday morning early and I'm opening up the building and I'm walking around, there are a lot of these little porticos and entryways and little hiding spots. There, there were a couple times where I wasn't on guard. And I, I came around a corner and there was a homeless person sleeping there. I, I, my heart jumped out of my chest. Right? I wasn't ready for that. I'm like, why wasn't I situationally aware? Well, I didn't expect that. Well, now every time I go around a corner, I'm just ready for someone to be there. My son hates that. Why does he hate that? Because he wants to scare me. He loves, especially during bedtime, it's like, hey, go get your toothbrush ready. We're going to brush your teeth. He goes and gets his toothbrush ready, and he, he goes to our bathroom so Bailey can have her bathroom, and they don't have to fight because that's what kids do, right? So they go, he goes to my, my bathroom, and, and he comes out, okay, I'm ready, Dad, but he turns the lights off in the bathroom, turns the lights off in our bedroom, and then, okay, I'm ready, and he runs, he runs down the hallway. And he, he always goes into our bathroom and around the corner, and he's hiding here, and the door's coming this way, and he, he just expe- he wants, to, he wants to scare me. And so many times it's happened, I, I walk in there, he's like, rawr, I'm like, hey, get up here and I'll brush teeth. Because I know, I know I'm ready for something, right? And that bummed him out. I mean, he was sad. He's like, I can't scare you, so now what do I do? Oh, my goodness, you scared me. I, I can't believe you. So, and one, once in a while, I'll walk in and I'll scream before he does, and it just freaks him totally out, right? <laughs> it's, I know, that's, it's, it's a dad privilege. But being ready, being, thinking, you know what, this, is, this might be a bad day today. I may be influenced negatively in, by this person. I, if I walk into a classroom in school or if I walk into my job at in my cubicle or if I walk into the grocery store or, or in the bank and, or, or whatever it is or I'm downtown, and, and there's going to be things that want to distract and pull me away. Satan wants us to be intoxicated by the world. So our minds are dull and not clear. Listen, there are way too many of us Christians who walk around with dull minds, intoxicated by the world, thinking that, what the world offers, or part of what the world offers, half of it, a quarter of it, I don't know, what the world offers is good and right and should be accepted in our lives as children of God. That is absolutely not true. We are walking around intoxicated, drunk, with beer goggles on. And, and, and what I would tell you is this, take them off and open the Word of God. And if you're one of those people that's found yourself opening the Word of God and, it's, and it says something, you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that's for today. You have beer goggles on. I don't know if that's relevant anymore. You're wearing beer goggles. I, 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 don't think, I think that's a little harsh. You are intoxicated. Come to the word of God and say, God, I, I am a stranger and exile in this world. And I want to know what you want me to know. I want to see the world through the lenses that you have given me to see the world. And that is through the word of God and by the spirit of God. And be informed by that instead. If you and I are going to be strangers and exiles, we will not fit in with the world. And we cannot go around intoxicated by what the world has to offer. We were saved out of that darkness and into life. So be sober-minded and alert. Paul writes in Ephesians, Therefore I say this, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk, no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. Futility, right? This, this drunken thoughts, intoxicated thoughts. They are darkened in, our, in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is on them and because of the hardness of their hearts. And even today, as I'm saying, you're probably drunk if you're saying those things. You're like, I don't, I'm not drunk. What do drunk people tell people that aren't? I'm not drunk. I've only had one. What does the Word of God say? What, don't even take my word for it. 
I mean, you should trust good Christian friends. But if you can't, because your beer goggles are on, sober up and go to the Word of God and ask the questions you need to ask to be the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. What Paul writes in Romans, how do, how do we conquer this? He says, he says I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, the mercy that reached out and, and gave you the grace of Christ given to us on a cross for our sins, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It's a response. Because of the, the mercy of God, I respond in worship, offering myself back to him, say, I'm yours, I'm no longer mine. Do not be conformed, it says, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you'll be able to discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. We, we don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Turn with me to Titus. Keep your ribbon here in Peter, but turn with me to the book of Titus, please. It's a few pages uh, in front of First Peter. Right after Second Timothy. We're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Again, this is just giving us further motivation here and, and reasons of, of why we should live sober, soberly. So Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared. Thank you, Jesus. Right? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Right There's that clear-headed, level-headed, sober-minded way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for Himself a people for His own possession, eager to do good works. You understand that the motivation here is like, don't just be good because we're on the good side. It's that he's, he's given us Jesus and He's grafting us into His family. That we're to be a part of His family. And that's so important for us to understand. There's a motivation. It's a reason uh, that we should be uh, in this mind, this sober-minded as God is grafting us into His family. We're part of His family now. He's redeemed us from darkness and brought us into light through faith in Christ. And, and that leads us to number two. This settled hope. This settled hope is rightly motivated. So not only is it sober-minded, it's now rightly motivated. Turn back with me to 1 Peter. We'll look at verses 14 through 19. There's a, there's a lot here in this text, but I think it's, it's important to see this right motivation. So we're back there at 1 Peter 1, 14 through 19. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. For if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during the time here living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that you inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like gold or silver. It wasn't just paid for with gold. It wasn't made right with a payoff. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished lamb. A few things going on. So what is Peter saying are the motivations? What are the motivations behind this? One is this, we have a new family, and we just alluded to that. We've been brought into a new family. It's important if you look at this text. It says, as obedient children, right? When we're grafted into the family of God, we are now children of God, and now God is our who? Our Father. 
It's our, he's our father, and, and it's, this family dynamic is so important. And Scripture urges us, urges Christ followers to call on God as father, to see him as father. And not like a passive, like, oh, I can joke with you, dad, it's so fun. But like, I'm, I'm dad, I'm the leader, I'm the head, and what I say goes in my family, and we are to be this type of family. And we yield to our father. Right? We pray, we say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're lifting him up as holy, right? We say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, not, not mine. We don't go to dad and say, hey, can I have this? Can I do this? It's crazy right now, like, the, the things, like, I, I'm learning as a dad with my children and how quickly my children want to just argue with me. Like, and it's simple. Hey, would you please pick your socks up off the living room floor? But dad, there's, like, there's no, there's no argument. There's, like, there's no argument that says, I will allow that, that I want that there. Let, please discipline yourself and do that, or I'll discipline you. That's the, how the Father works, right? We are children. We're in this family. And I want to I show you this in a little way that I think about it, because it's baseball season right now, and I love baseball. And um, I'm a Dodgers fan, which is not looking good right now, but whatever. Um, anyway, th- there's 162 games to play, so it's early. Um, but here's, here's what I've learned. And it, it's funny, because when they're doing good, like I'll, I'll recap a game with somebody, like, oh, yeah, we scored five runs, and, and it, was, it was great. Like, and they're like, who's we? Are you on the Dodgers? I want to be, you know. <laughs> You know, who's we? But there's a difference, isn't there? Like, and here's the difference. I may wear a jersey, a Dodgers jersey. Why do I do that? Because I am a, a fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. I am not a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right? So think about how we play this in our own minds. Some of us wear a jersey that says, I'm a fan of God's. I'm a fan of First Baptist. I'm a fan of Christianity. But what does it really mean to be on the team? What does it really mean to be in the family of God? Because with the Dodgers, when you look at the, the L.A. Dodgers, I mean, their exercise regiment, their diet regiment, their, their tr- uh, training, their, their practice regiment, their, their playtime regiment, the discipline they have to have, and now the COVID restriction regiment. I mean, to, I don't even want to be a Dodger. I'm like, I don't think I could. I don't want to exercise that much. And not, you know, like, like it's... That's crazy, right? There's a difference, isn't there? There's a camaraderie. There's a unity on the team. They have to play their position well. They're being counted on to, to be that person and, and do it well. They're being counted on to run plays the way they should. They're being counted on to, to listen to the signs the coaches give and, to, and to, to do what they've been asked. That's what's being on a team. I'm just a fan. And see, when, when we look at the motivation behind this settled hope, it's rightly motivated to help us understand, we're a part of the family. You can't settle for just being a fan, and you can't have a settled hope if you're just a fan. Being in the family means I'm in the family. I'm going to play my part. I'm going to do what my father wants me to do. I'm going to portray. Imagine if a Dodger came on the field today with an L.A. Lakers jersey on instead. That's, just, that's basketball, right? Imagine if they came on with a San Francisco Giants jersey. <laughs> I mean, you would be kicked out. You're, you're done. What are you, I mean, it's like, that's just not okay. You can't have reversible jerseys. I'm, we're, if we're a part of the family of God, then we're a part of the family of God. And this, this call out to be holy as he is holy is saying, listen, I'm God. I am uniquely set apart from everything in the universe. I am above it all, and I am the creator of it all. And I am 
perfectly pure and perfectly holy. And this is what I have ordained and this is what I have created and this is how I've created it to be. And he's calling us to be holy as he is holy. Why? Because he's calling us out to separate ourselves from being just a fan or being not even a fan to being a part of the family of God. You don't want to be a fan. You want to be in the fam with him. That's what he's calling us to. So we, we remember and we think, I, and we're encouraged that, that we have this, this settled hope and the motivation to stay settled is because we are rightly motivated by being a part of his family. We're his children. He is our father. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, if you would, please. You can keep your ribbon here. Colossians chapter 3. You'll find Acts and Romans and Corinthians, and then after that you're going to find Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. No, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. I want us to see this, this, this family grafting and what this looks like for us. In Colossians 3, 1 through 10, it says this. If you have been raised with Christ, you've been, you've been drafted, right? You've been put on the team. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is telling us what it is to be a part of the team, to be part of the family, how we know we're in there. Okay, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. See, we are part of the family. We are not just fans. What else does it look like? Therefore, put to death. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. What are those things? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You once were, right? Before you were part of the family, when you were just a fan. But now, put away all of the following. Anger and wrath and malice and slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. We're being renewed into His image. He's, he's the glorious one. He's the holy one. And we're called out of darkness and into light to be holy as he is holy, grafted into his family. And God's character is part of this motivation as well. So not only are we grafted into the family, we, are, we have this, this motivation behind God's character. Leviticus tells us, I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. It's saying, it, it's, here's what it's not saying. Just do everything and look, look good. Be perfect. Because fans can kind of put that imagery on. He's saying, no, I'm calling you out to be part of the family. I'm consecrating you. You are my chosen people, a people for my own possession, according to the image of our Creator, according to God's image. So set apart be, to be perfect and pure, and, and he, he is in all His ways. He is calling us out. But then we see we're also rightly motivated by judgment. We saw that there's a judgment to be had on the disobedient. And a lot of Scripture says there's disobedient children, and then there's the obedient ones that are part of the family. So we're all children. Who's our dad? Who are you obedient to? Ephesians tells us about this judgment. You were, you were dead in your sins. Well, there's, there's judgment right there, dead in our sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the children of, the diso of disobedience. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So it's painting this picture of before Christ, we were children under wrath of God, disobedient children, not, we, were, we were not even fans. And then Christ came along and said, hey, I, I want you to be my children. And by the blood of Christ and through faith in Christ, we can be brought out of darkness and into light and be his children. We can, he goes on, he says, but God who is rich in mercy. Right? There, mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. Which, in order for it to be mercy, means that we have something that we deserve. There's judgment there. But we're rightly motivated to, to live this, this settled hope life in Christ because of God's mercy that he's extended to us. Because of God's mercy and his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. You are saved by grace. Amen? That's such an amazing thing that God has given us his mercy in, in the middle of this judgment that we all deserve. And, and when we embrace that mercy, now we're children of God and we walk and look a different way. The next thing we see here, uh, that he says we're rightly motivated. He says that uh, we know we were redeemed from your empty way of life. Redeemed from the empty way of life that we inherited. Like there was just an empty way of life being passed down generation to generation out there. But we were redeemed from that. How? Not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like an unblemished and spotless lamb. Matthew, Jesus says this, he's, he's, it's the Last Supper, and we're going to participate in the Lord's table here shortly. It's the Last Supper, though, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How can we have this settled hope? Well, we're rightly motivated because we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How can we have this hope? Listen, we have a settled hope because there is a hope in what the blood of Christ has settled. Did you catch that? We can have a settled hope because there is a hope in what the blood of Christ has settled. What has he settled with his blood? He settled our forgiveness of our sins. He's atoned for our sins. The account has been paid, and through faith in Christ, we are made righteous. Not on our own works, but through faith in Christ and what he has done. We're given a righteousness that we could never have earned on our own. What a great motivation. What a great reminder that we have a settled hope because he has settled our bill. Finally, number three. A settled hope is not an afterthought. It's not an afterthought. It's not like, Oh no, what am I going to do? God's thinking, I, I don't know, I'll try to figure this out, and he figured it out. Uh, go back to our, our text there in, in 1 Peter, the last two verses. We're looking at 1 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. For he, this is talking about Jesus, the lamb that was given. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. He was foreknown. This plan was, was, this plan was concocted before you were even born, before you were even considered. In Acts, uh, Peter is preaching. He says this, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Uh, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know you've seen it. 
He says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. It's amazing, right? He's, he was foreknown to be, be uh, our, our sacrifice. God said that he was born to die. And before Christ put on flesh, that's what he did. God came into the universe and put on flesh. He eternally understood and knew that he would have to be a sacrifice for sin. We see that in Philippians. who God, Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. God, eternal God, emptied himself, became a servant, took on human likeness, and when he had come as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was foreknown that he would sacrifice his life, that God would humble himself in that way for you and for me. But here's the promise. It's not just forgiveness of sin through the death of Christ, that he atoned for us on that cross. It's also eternal life. And the promise made, and we come from Easter, the promise made is this. Jesus says, because I live, that he didn't stay dead. He, he died and he was buried and then he resurrected. He came back to life. He says, because I live, you will live too. Because I live, you will live too. See, there's a promise that we will be atoned for, our sin will be atoned for, and we'll be forgiven. And there's a promise that, that we will not have death hold us because Christ raised from the dead and he conquered death once and for all. Again, we have this settled hope. And I want to add this to it. We have this settled hope because there is a hope in what the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ has settled. It is settled. It's finished. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So listen, you and I are to live as strangers and exiles in a world that is not our home, and we are to do it with sober minds, seeing life clearly through the lenses of Scripture and by the power of His Spirit. And we are to have a settled hope motivated by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by, by the holiness and purity of God, and by the mercy of God. And we're to live a settled hope because it was not an afterthought that Christ came, He died, and He rose victoriously so that you and I could have life. Live as those whose hope is an anchor in Christ and not in this world. Amen?